Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today I am joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland, Sam Carroll and Adam Jones as we the facts over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And of course, this week has been another winning week, six in a row for Carlo Ancelotti's Blues. Cup progress into the quarterfinals and of course a game with Brighton to preview loads for us to get stuck into, um, chaps. So um, we will start with midweek Preno, 4-1. Um, it, it, it was perhaps a scoreline that didn't reflect some of the chances that West Ham had, but a, a very impressive uh, progression into the quarterfinals nonetheless. Yeah, I thought it was a, a relatively fair scoreline, given some of the opportunities that, you know, Everton missed in the first half and, you know, Richarlison's misfortune with the um, the latest bit of magic from James Rodriguez. Uh, what I like particularly about it, though, was just the sense of authority that Everton seems to have now. Um, very, very similar to West Brom in the, you know, we suffer a setback. You know, they score a goal within, was it 27 seconds of the uh, of the restart? And yet there's no panic, there's no jitters. Um, whether that's as a result of the absence of a crowd, I don't know. I've seen some speculation from people suggesting that, you know, the absence of a crowd might actually be helping uh, Everson in some areas. I dispute that vehemently. Um, but... Um, it was just like a sense of authority and a sense of command about the performance. And even though, you know, West Ham equalised, you never really uh, felt that, you know, you, you were concerned in any way. And uh, it was just a, a, a stronger lineup, or as strong a lineup as we expected. Um, and, the, you know, the, the first choice players that he selected all delivered. And just a word for that opening goal from Calvert-Lewin. How good was that from, you know, the... The creation from Michael Keane, you know, the vision. And so the, that touch was sublime to bring it down and lift it. I've seen people say, if Dennis Bergkamp scores a goal like that, you, you, you keep seeing it on repeat over and over again. Because it was Dominic Calvert-Lewin in a Carabao Cup tie, you probably won't. Um, but it was, it was a very, very good night. And I think it just underlined again that the club is going in the right place, in the right direction, and we're all thoroughly enjoying it. Um, Gav, I was, what obviously you wanted to talk about Calvert-Lewin, eight goals in five games, an England call-up this week. Um, he is, as Carlo Ancelotti says, on fire. Um, but make, it kind of makes an interesting point there. Do you think that actually that despite everything that we've just said and, and you know, 13 goals last season, etc., do you still think that some people perhaps outside of Goodison, the walls of Goodison still think that it's not he's not the, the answer or he's not quite the striker that we believe he can can be or as good as we're seeing? It goes back to what Carlo was saying in his press conference, I think, today and last week, isn't he? He needs consistency. Remember, this runs off the back of not scoring and was it the last nine or ten games of hmm. last season. So, eight and, eight and five is, is good. Eight, but that's effectively eight and 15, isn't it? This is a different kettle of fish. So, I know he had a good run before then and he can play around with stats to prove anything, but it's got to be consistent, hasn't he? Uh, and consistent means getting up to that 20-goal a season, Mark, that Carlo 
said about last week and doing that consistently and get maybe getting up to 25. Players can have good runs. I was thinking that this time last season, didn't Tammy Abraham have a similar run at Chelsea? He was knocking them in left, right and centre. Um, and, and, and I get that. So um, I still think he's very much a work in progress. What, what I like about him, which it just shows that how hard he works and you know how we listen to people is the one we mentioned about Carver Loon is I think it was the analysis match today, I think it was it after the Crystal Palace game last year, nil nil, not the one in August, the one in April. And I think Lineker and somebody else might have been shared on match today. We're looking at him saying like his problem is he's not attacking space, he's not taking you know, taking chances in terms of not taking chances with the ball, there's take you know moving into taking a chance of running into an area where the ball might go. And um, he, he started to do that, isn't it? And, he, and that was shown perfectly on the goal on on Wednesday night, wasn't it? I thought he was offside when I, you know, when Wolby shot at the, at the post. Because I couldn't believe he was that far ahead of the play when the ball came back, back to him. Um, but when you watch it again, he starts running towards the goal when Wolby shoots, doesn't he? Gambling and taking the chance that the goal he might Harry it and it runs loose or it might hit the woodwork and comes back and he, he gets the reward for gambling there doesn't he and, and that's the difference to me um, compared to a year or two ago it's that reason of the game isn't it plus the that you know third goal he's going to score there isn't he that's when he scores six or seven goals in four or five games sounds like that's easy to finish so um, you're seeing a couple of things there with him Far more, far better in terms of anticipating what's going on, and more confidence. We need to show it consistently, as Carlo said quite rightly. Adam, how much do you think um, this this particular run of form that Dominic's in is down to the change in formation? Because this is the first time he he has played, and many perhaps, but certainly for Dominic, the first time he's played in, in the middle of a, of a front three. Um, yeah, I think it certainly plays a part, and I think maybe we saw that. Last season as well, we saw the benefits of him, you know, having somebody up alongside him when we switched to four four two. And I think the link up play between him and Richarlison was really good at stages uh, last season. And I think perhaps this season with the change in formation, obviously we've commented all all throughout this season so far about how the midfield has kind of changed for Everton. But I think in the way it's changed, it's just creating more and more chances for those going forward. You know, you've seen Richarlison get loads more chances when he's playing out wide. James Rodriguez is getting chances himself and he's obviously setting up loads of chances. So Calvert-Lewin is just having so much creativity behind him now. And I think that's probably where we're seeing the benefits of it. And, you know, you're still having Richarlison, you know, at times he's often playing almost up front with him. Uh, James Rodriguez is getting forward and playing up with him. You know, we're seeing Decore and Gomez get in and around the box as well. There's just a whole lot more support up that top end of the pitch now that we've changed formation. So, yeah, I'd probably say that a lot of it is down to a change in formation, but it's also down to Calvert-Lewin himself. As Gab rightly says, You know, he's he's changed his, his game over the last few months, I'd say. He's, he is anticipating those kind of uh, those kind of loose balls inside the box a little bit more, I think. He quite rightly says that third goal against West Ham was the perfect summary of that, you know, following the ball in just on the off chance that it was going to be there. And I think his goal against Crystal Palace uh, last week also typified that as well. You know, Seamus Coleman runs in behind the defence and he just doesn't have to look up. He just knows Calvert-Lewin is going to be 
on the edge of the box exactly where he needs to be to put the ball in the back of the net. And perhaps we haven't seen that a lot from Calvert-Lewin up until this season, but he seems to really have got the knack of that this season. So I think it's probably a mixture of the formation change and Carlo Ancelotti's teachings. But yeah, I'd say the formations play the crucial part. And of course, Calvert-Lewin's hat-trick, um, Sam, uh, helping uh, us through to the quarterfinals where we will play Manchester United at Goodison. Um I think, I think a lot of most Blues are pretty pleased with that draw, weren't they? Yeah, I think you've got to take it, haven't you? you I think it's a nice mix of, of getting one of the better teams in the competition who probably wouldn't want to play at Wembley, maybe, just because they have a bit more experience there. Um, but at Goodison, you, you've got to be thoroughly confident. And I think the only sad part about it is that I'd be a lot more confident if we knew there was going to be 40,000 of us in, in the stadium there. That That's not there, but it hasn't hindered us so far this season and hopefully it doesn't hinder us tomorrow. So, you know, there's still a long time to go as well. The thing is, isn't it, that it's December now after that little flurry of games. So we'll have to see what kind of form we're, we're going into. But, you know, we've already been to Tottenham and, and beat them this season. So, you know, why not? I think it's a good draw in the sense that if we beat them, you you could then be playing a Stoke or someone like, like or, or Brentford in the semi-final, which... You know, would be really, really good. Um, but we're still going to have to be two, potentially three top six teams to win it, aren't we? So United are just the first one that need taken off. Mm, absolutely. Um, okay, well, I'll tell you what, we will, um, we'll move on to sort of the big transfer news of the week then. Um, and a player who Everton are closing in on signing and has, has, has sort of flown under the radar and, and all of a sudden gathered gathered pace and moved quickly this week, Preno. Um Norwich defender Ben Godfrey. Uh, looks like we are close to uh, sealing the deal for the 22-year-old. Um, I have to be perfectly honest. I can't say my knowledge of Ben Godfrey is particularly extensive. <laughs> um, what about yours? Are we getting a good player? Oh, yeah. I've, I've studied his uh, game intimately from, you know, he <laughs> made his debut. No, I have absolutely no idea whether he's any good. You've just got to have faith in the, the recruitment process, which, let's face it, has been pretty solid during the course of the season already. Um, it's an area of the pitch where we do need reinforcements as a matter of urgency. We've said this uh, for some time, uh, certainly since Mason Holgate got injured and then obviously when Jared Branthwaite you know, added to that list as well. We can't really continue much longer uh, with the, the lack of depth in that area of the pitch. So, you know, we're going to have to hope that, yes, they have spotted a, a young gem that can settle in very, very quickly because I think he could be needed uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, but no, you know, to answer the question, I don't know a great deal about him. But you know, to spend that sum of money uh, on a young man from the Championship suggests that you know he does have a fair bit of potential. Uh, but no, I'd be uh, I'd be telling absolute porkies if I suggested I know anything more than a couple of clips I've seen on um, on YouTube. So I think we have just got to have faith in the uh, the recruitment process, which, as I say, has been pretty good so far over the last few months. Um, Gav, hot off the uh, digital press, uh, Daniel Fark, the Norwich City manager, has been giving his press conference uh, this afternoon and has said um, he won't be with us for the Derby game. I can confirm that. Whoever signs Ben Godfrey can be unbelievably happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just put his place up by five million there, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, I'm surprised Premier never mentioned Dave Watson there whilst waxing lyrical, you know, as a. <laughs> You know, missed mm. big opportunity there. Last play we bought from Norwich centre half. Hope he's as good as Waggy. Uh, yeah, I cannot. 
I can only add to what Pano was saying there. What I think it's there's, there's a couple of points here, there's not that would make it um Bandface will probably now be fifth in the pecking order, I would imagine, because Godfrey yeah. has got Premier League experience, a little bit older, a bit more seniority, and he don't spend, you know, or may we may spend whatever amount of money on him. Is what happens to Brantway to be try and put him on loan and know he's injured because I mean I presume we can put people on loan because the AFL is the 15th of October or something like that the deadline yeah yeah, yeah. so there may be an opportunity there to put him on loan uh, is the first thing the second thing as well which I, I don't want to sort of like everybody make a big sigh is is as we were talking the other week about like San and Decore uh, Alan and Rodriguez I'm saying we need to get loads of his Shed loads of players to make this work for financial mm. regulation purposes. I was just thinking the same about Godfrey. I know it's not oh. for now, but it's, it raises an interesting question: this about what the club's attitude is going towards financial regulation, um, which is not for now. And I'm, I'm just wondering what, what, what you know, is it? Is it um, we'll spend now, and if we if we cause us trouble further on down the line, as long as it's made us successful, then we'll cross that bridge when we find it. I'm just interested to see how that's going to work out going forward. I do. But, I do. Yeah, I, I think. I, I was going to say, Gav, I do. I do wonder because the the, the, the the noises from the football club for a number of weeks, and and certainly even in public with Carlo, had been that the club were only looking to sign a defender on loan. So yeah. It, it feels to me as though Godfrey's availability at this point in the market, and the fact that he's still um, around and still hasn't been snapped up, has perhaps accelerated plans. And it was an opportunity, if you like, that the club thought, well, we'll just have to financially make it work because we really yeah. race him and we won't get another opportunity to uh, to get him next summer. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of spend, it's not going to make it. In, in terms of, like, it'll be, what, five million a year on, of pay for the transfer thing, what, maybe a couple of million on top of that for, for wages. It costs us seven million a year for him. We get somebody on loan. I mean, like, say Zuma, I would imagine he's on big wages. Once you throw in maybe a a loan fee, it's probably going to you know cost us the same amount of money. So I, I get the impression there's probably more th- it's been difficult getting somebody in on loan as well. And maybe this lad's come up, has come in. You know, I've been linked with them before. I mean, I think it's been on our radar a long time. And and also as you know, you said before, and I believe it's definitely true. You can have worse transfer policies than go to clubs who've been relegated near or near the bottom of the table and getting their best player. Well, Decore being uh, being in the well, yeah, yeah. I mean, look across the park for further uh, further proof. Um, so, I mean, Harry Maguire was from relegated to the hall, wasn't he? Um, so, um, I think, yeah, I've, I've not a great sort of great knowledge of him, but from what I heard, he's very good, right age, all that type of stuff. I won't even mention the sale value at this point. <laughs> um, and and you've got to trust trust people who recruit at the moment because as Penos just said there, we're on a bit of a roll, aren't we, in terms of recruitment and long way to continue. Adam um, Gav touched on it in terms of talking about um, Jared Branthwaite because one of the many conversations I've had with a couple of people over the past couple of days about about Godfrey coming in it is, is is where does he fit in because this isn't I think what people are sort of understandably questions is it's not a lone player coming in here who is it with us for a season and understands that you know he understands the situation that he's coming largely on a temporary deal um 
etc. Ben Godfrey mm. is coming to us and we'll sign a long-term contract and we'll we'll probably expect to play. So mm. where does he play? How does he get in the team? When does Carlo give him the opportunity? I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I've had similar questions as well. And it's interesting now, especially with there being no League Cup fixtures until December, is it? You know, like mid to late December. You know, the, you, you do wonder when there was when there's going to be an opportunity for him to break into the t- team. But on the flip side of things, I think this is exactly what we want at Everton, isn't it? We want the this kind of competition in every single position of the pitch. And to be honest, at centre-back, we haven't really had that since, you know, Ked Zuma was here, maybe. You know, we added a little bit when Holgate, Mira and Keane were all fit last season and we had a bit of competition, but we've not really had four centre-backs all fighting for two positions in the squad. But I think that's exactly the kind of progression that we need to have. You know, Ben Godfrey might not walk straight into the team at Everton, but, you know, this is now Everton spending, you know, up a, a deal believed to be £25 million on a, cent- a really promising young centre-back and he might not walk into the team. I can only see that as a positive thing, really. Like he he's he's got to fight his way into this team. You know, we've got Michael Keane, who I think has probably been our best player since lockdown. He's playing tremendously well at the minute. You know, Yeni Mina, we've all seen how well he can play. Mason Holgate, I think he's been absolutely fantastic since the start of last season. And you know, you'd you'd hope when he's fit that he walks straight back into the team as well. And hopefully, Godfrey will only be able to add to those sorts of options. So, yeah, I, I think he does just add you know an extra bit of cover for it, like. Where initially for when, you know, likes of, say, Mina or Keane needed resting or if there was injuries, etc. I just think it's an improvement on the options that we already have. You know, Godfrey is a step up than Branthwaite at the minute. So I'd like to see, you know, Branthwaite, you know, move back to the 23s and, you know, continue his development from there, maybe even go out on loan. You know, who knows what happens with Branthwaite. But I just think Godfrey adds that kind of competition that we kind of want to see all over the pitch. So I can only see it as a really... It's a really positive thing, even if he doesn't walk straight straight into the team. Um, Sam, are you able to uh, repair the reputation of the Royal Blue Podcast and offer any informed opinion on uh, Ben Godfrey? Because none of us has barely seen, seen him play. <laughs> Sadly not. Sadly not. So I've just been kind of trying to sweep up little bits of little bits of knowledge. I've seen some, uh, seen a few knowledge fans today saying that the gutted that he didn't give. Apparently, we should have gave him a chance to play hold midfield. And then a lot of fans were kind of jumping on that and saying that could potentially be his best position, which gives us a bit of a Jabaman situation, doesn't it? Where we're signing a player who, who people are saying can play in both positions. But it definitely looks like he's been signed as a centre-half. You know, a lot of pace to burn, it looks like, which is definitely something we've missed uh, for a long time now, isn't it? I think probably, you know... Jags in his heyday alongside Distan was the last time we had we had proper pace uh, at the back there. So he'll, he'll definitely add that. But it is interesting to think about whether he'll come in, you know, as a player he'll start on the bench or is he being signed for the for the here and now? I don't I don't think we can change Mina and Keane straight away because of the win start of the season. But we're signing twenty we're, we're paying twenty five million for him as well. So uh, it, it is interesting the way it's, it's happened so quickly and definitely seems like. Ancelotti and Brands have, have kind of taken the opportunity with the seeing that the, the deal was available. Uh, Brandon, do you think there's any um, any sort of weight to the to the theory that perhaps this is an early early signing of of, uh, of of a defender who ultimately will be seen as a replacement for somebody who's already at the club, and we've just done the deal now while we can that 
perhaps next summer the club are forecasting that we would we would lose or sell one of the current uh, backline. I don't see it that way. No, um, if you think about it, it's only is it well three or four weeks since we were forced into playing a, a young lad who'd only made a handful of appearances for Carlisle United in Premier League matches. Um, you know, you can never second guess what's going to happen in terms of injuries, and we seem to be particularly unfortunate at the moment. And certainly, when it comes to central defensive positions. Yerry Mina uh, has not had, you know, an injury-free run, uh, you know, mm. so since he arrived at the club. Mason Holgate's picked up problems. So you don't really know. I mean, most football clubs need four first-choice centre-backs, you know, so certainly if you're going to achieve what Everton intends to achieve, which is European football uh, sooner rather than later, uh, and obviously with this new third-tier European competition coming in next season, uh, you'd like to think that we will be in some level of European competition next season. Uh, regardless. So, you know, you need four first-choice centre-halves. And that doesn't include Jared Branthwaite, who, as Adam said there, you know, still needs to develop, still needs to learn his game uh, under 23 level, maybe out on loan. So now I think he's been brought in, you know, so as a, as a first-team squad player. I don't see there's any need to be moving anybody on at the moment. I mean, obviously the squad has got lots of players in there that need to be moved on as a matter of some urgency, but I don't think centre-halves are any of them. Uh, I think there are, you know, plenty of attacking players and wide players and Mid, you know, forward players even that you know, so we need to move on first. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Gav, as, as Preno alludes to there, um, you know, assuming that Godfrey goes through and, and becomes an Everton player, um, we would imagine that the focus in the remaining days of the international window, if you like, would be in attempting to shift the unwanted players. Um, yeah, we, we we seem to have had this conversation, you know, fifty times in the last two years. But, but yeah. how com- how confident would you be that finally the football club can offload, um, you know, the usual suspects, if you like, and, and maybe <laughs> one or two others? Should we just repeat the podcast from last month and the month before mm-hmm. and the month before that? Um, not very. Um, on the basis that, well, as we all know, the current pandemic and so on is, means that money is a bit tight, the wages that people are on. I would just, but I would like to see people just away from Finch Farm if it just means on loan, where we just, you know, made, take a little bit of. Uh, Bit of saving in the wage bill without getting a transfer fee in for them. So for me, I'd rather get rid of you know, try to get put somebody on loan now rather than sell them next season. If you know what I mean, I still have them club, I still have them the club in the next twelve months. I think that's what may happen. Um, but then you've got to you need a club to you can pay wages while they're on loan. That be, it meets the club's requirements. It's going to be difficult, isn't it? I mean, I would imagine there's probably a few players on the books who've been trying to get their dog for 12, 12 months or so, and we still haven't. Um, Carlo was a bit coy about it again today when he was asked that, that question. Um, so, 
not confident, but maybe a bit more confident that we get people out on loan. Mm. Um, Adam Carlo was was pretty clear though on um, on the future of Yannick Balassi. Um, Yannick gave an interview last week uh, to the Press Association where he he said he he wanted to stay and fight and that he'd been training well and and all of these things. Obviously, from you know for a couple of years, it's obviously been our understanding that the club had been willing to make him available um, for sale. Um, Carlo was pretty clear that 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 is the case today, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's quite, it's quite interesting with Balassi, isn't it? You know, Carlo Ancelotti reiterated that, you know, Balassi is doing everything that he can in training and that he's a professional and everything and he will continue to get the chance to train with the, with, uh, with the Everton squad until he can find a move. And, you know, he'll still be in training if he doesn't find a move before the end of the window. But, yeah, Ancelotti quite, made it quite clear that he's not part of his plans, which, you know, I don't, I don't think we're particularly surprised by, but it's just just hard for him isn't it because you know you, you can do all you want in training but as as it as it's transpired it's just his time has really has really gone at Everton you wonder how much that injury did play its part and you know with the timer of it you know coming so soon after he joined the club of course you know and being out for what was it a year over a year uh you know it, it obviously wasn't the ideal situation for him he's had a few loan moves since then did well at Aston Villa and Anderlecht in particular and then you know, things things went a bit awry towards the end of the Sporting Lisbon loan last year, of course, as well. And you know, it's, it seems like it's just been a bit of a, a summer of waiting round, really, just to just to see what Balassi's future is going to hold. And you've got to respect him for you know wanting to fight for his place at Everton. Yeah. Because why would you want to fight for his place at Everton? You know, he's this is this is one of the biggest moves that he's had in his career, and obviously he has such an affinity for the club and it's it's really good for supporters to see, you know, the way he is on social media and everything. He's always engaging with the supporters and, you know, a lot of fans really do respect that kind of attitude from a player. And I don't I don't think it's his attitude that has been the issue here. I think it's just that Everton of the Everton squad has progressed over the last few years and we've got better players in that position now. And unfortunately it just doesn't seem like there's a place for Yannick. So fingers crossed he can get himself a good move before Monday because you know, as as I say, you know, it's great to see his attitude, and it's great to see that he's still performing in training. So I think he does deserve it. Mm. Um, obviously, Sam among the, the players in a similar boat to Yannick, um, Sandro Ramirez. It's all, you've gone very quiet. The, the only thing we've seen or heard from Sandro is uh, him grainily pictured in some training shots at Finch Farm. Um, did you do you do you expect to see him leave on Monday or before? <laughs> You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But at the same time, we all know the situation that clubs are in. Sandra obviously gets a a decent whack of money, probably similar to what what Gab's on a week in his job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's have to leave Sam less than me. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, but it's a it's a difficult one to think because <laughs> will, will anyone be able to to pay that? And 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 does it come down to you know if if we are going to get him? Get him out on loan. I've got no doubt that we're going to have to strike a deal where we're, we're still paying a decent proportion of his wages. But as Gab pointed out earlier, anything we can scrape off, whether it's 30, 40%, 25%, would probably be something in, in, in this current climate, you know, without, without fans coming through and, and, and paying the money for each game. So, you know, the thing with Sandro and Balassi is you've got to kind of. On a human level, I think we can all sympathise with the sense of if we were getting paid 
a large amount of money, even if we were out of favour and we were coming in and people were basically saying they didn't want us there, could you stomach it for 50, 60 grand a week? Yeah, you could, but on a professional level, you've, you've got to hope that they've got enough about them, you know, especially Sandra, who's still only a, a young man, really. But that they can now, you know, swallow the pride a little bit and say, okay, it hasn't worked out, just find me anything and I'll, you know, if I have to, I'll, I'll take a hit on my wages to go out there and, and play football again. So, you know, th- there's no criticism, I don't think, from anyone really about the professionalism. I think everyone can respect that it just hasn't worked out. I think Balassi has showed himself to at least want to interact with supporters this summer and, and, and bought a few tops for fans and stuff, which is always, you know, all right to see. But, you know, it's clear now the, the time has come for him to to move on. So I hope for both of them they can get that opportunity. And the same goes for Mo Besic. And then the same goes for, you know, the, the lads in the under-23s who are looking to get moves away because I think they all deserve the chance to, to forge their own careers away from Everton now. Um, as is, as in keeping with the pods of recent weeks on a Friday, um, breaking news as we record. The Merseyside Derby kickoff has changed. Still October the 17th, but it will be at 12.30 live on BT Sport. And another fixture amendment, Southampton away, is now Sunday, October the 25th, and will kick off at 2 o'clock. Um, Sam, I want to stay with you, mate, because it, we need to talk about Everton women We've spoke about the Blues reaching a quarter-final. Well, the women are going to Wembley. A terrific result in the week. Um, tell us about it. Yeah, I think the, the big result was obviously the, the game at Goodison on um, last Sunday. That was the first time I'd been to Goodison, actually, Phil, since me and you did the Crystal Palace game where we won 2-1 and Richardson scored. 3-1. So, uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm, I'm, the lucky, I'm the lucky charm at the moment, I think. <laughs> um, but, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea unbeaten unbelievably in, in all competitions since April 2019. Wow. Um, and, and going into the game, they just beat Bristol City women 9-0. So... You know, that, that showed the size of the task. And when they scored after four minutes and they were absolutely battering Everton and, and it kind of felt like they were going to probably get close to another 9-0. But, you know, credit to Willie Kerr, credit to the, the girls uh, in Everton women who, who fought back. And it, it was a classic Goodison performance. They came back. Uh, they won 2-1. Valerie Galvin, who, who they signed for, for relatively big money, apparently, in, from France in the summer. She scored the winner. And that got them a, a semi-final against Birmingham, who were second bottom of the WSS, well, ugh, the Women's Super League. Uh, haven't won a game, got no points this season. So it was a bit of a reward in the sense that they were heavy favourites. And, and, and they did just that. They won 3-0. And that's going to be the first FA Cup final since 2014. And, and Willie Kirk told us the other day that he's had messages from Carlo Ancelotti, from Marcel Brands, from David Unsworth. You know, and you consider as well that Everton, one of the only full-time teams in the league, who also have the the women training alongside the men. Um, it shows what a what a kind of unity there is in 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 the club at the moment, and the club have you know promised to keep backing uh, the women's team. We've obviously got Savar Ismailov, who's Alisha Usmanov's nephew, kind of driving that behind the scenes as the sport and commercial director. So, very very exciting times. If anyone kind of listening. Once a footy fix of a weekend, the FA player, they're, they're easy to download. The women are on tomorrow against Aston Villa. Um, and, and it is always a good watch. The, the final will be November the 1st. Uh, I think that's going to be streamed on the BBC as well. So, yeah, everyone should tune in. Everyone should get behind them because they are uh, they are all a lovely bunch of girls as well. They're lovely to, 
to talk to after games. There's, there's never too much you can ask for. And, and Willie's the exact same, always got time for everyone. Um, and, and seems to be building something really special. Could be Champions League football coming to the to the male yes. female teams next season, hopefully. <laughs> what a yeah, what a story that would be indeed. Good stuff, uh, Sam. Prenner, we will we will now look to uh, to Brighton. Then that is the game tomorrow at Goodison Park. You mentioned Delph at the top of the podcast. Would you start him two games in four days? Wow, um, that that's the million dollar question. I'm a little bit worried about this game. Uh, Brighton, despite their results, have been impressive this season. Uh, Lamptey has been an absolute you know force of nature in his uh, appearances so far this season. He's an absolute flying machine. Uh, Morpe looks you know so lively. You know they they Trossard they they've, they've got quality throughout that side, and they were so so unlucky against United last weekend. I mean, Everson Brighton games tend to have, follow a bit of a trend. We always win at Goodison. We always lose down south. Uh, we've never lost to Brighton at Goodison. Yeah, I've said it. I've said it. I know. Uh, but, you know, so going back to 1913, I think was the first game. Uh, we've never been beaten by them. Uh, so, you know, we generally do okay against them, but we need to be absolutely at it. And given the number of players missing, it's a real juggling act, a real balancing act for um, for Carlo Ancelotti. I've been very, very impressed with Fabian Delph. And, you know, why shouldn't we be impressed by him? You know, he's a very, very good footballer. Um, he was excellent for Manchester City, uh, you know, during his time there. Uh, and the appearances that we've seen this season, he was very, very good last week. He was excellent, I thought, on Wednesday. But, you know, he played the full 90 minutes. And you think, wow, it's only three days later and his injury record is very, very mixed. I mean, the sports science guys at Finch Farm will be so important in this. They will know whether the guy is susceptible or vulnerable to suffering any kind of recurrence. If he's 100% fit, yeah, start him because he's absolutely ideal uh, to replace Alan. He's, He's just the kind of player that can do that role and can do it very, very well. Uh, and should we really be, you know, so wrapping a fella in cotton wool, you know, so three or four days later? I, I don't know. So, yeah, if he's fit, if there are no concerns about him suffering a recurrence, 100%, you know, so play him straight away. Um, but, you know, there are other issues uh, for Carlo to look at. I mean, Richarlison's going to have a fitness test, as we know. He's, like, so important uh, at the moment. Um, and he'd be playing on the same side of the pitch as Lamptey as well. So Richarlison's defensive work is as important as everything he does going forward as well. So that would be a big miss if he's not fit again. And then obviously Gomez, and I know Gomez is a bit of a cure egg for some people. Um, to me, I'm a fan. I think he's uh, he's done well this season. And it's difficult to find you know a like-for-like replacement as such uh, for Gomez. Although Sigurdsson, you know, to me, is probably, you know, so the ideal person. Ancelotti seems to, to rate Sigerson wore the captain's armband again in midweek. Uh, so lots for the manager to juggle with. But to, to answer your initial question, yes, Fabian Delph, if he's fit, absolutely he should start. Gav, any uh, difference of opinion there? Does does the loss of, of Alan and Andre Gomez, does, does Carlo need to change formation or does he stick with 4-3-3 and make, make the formation work around the players who are available? Uh, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, that could depend. The last question could depend on whether Richarlison's fit or not, I suppose. I think yeah. if Richarlison's fit, you'd want to keep your, your front three firing like like they have done. Um, I think, to be honest with you, regarding Delph, it's it's the absence of Alan full stop, isn't it? I mean, people said that. The, 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 one, the one thing that's noticeable is the three players who played last year in that area of the pitch, when Alan wasn't playing, all look far better this year with Alan on the pitch. 
Sigurdsson, Gomez, Delph. Now, some of that could be a tactical thing as well. But I just think they look for he does more of the dirty stuff and constructive stuff in terms of playing it short. Um, his passing's good. They all look far better players for it. I think in his absence, you may see them suffer a little bit. Um, so I, I think I play Delph, but whether you see the Delph that you saw on Wednesday is a new point because Alan's not on the pitch, you know, so he might have to play a slightly different role as well. Um, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd play Delph definitely. That's why we bought him, bought him, isn't it? <laughs> Better, whatever it is. Yeah, I'd, I'd play Delph um, in, in, in sort of the Alan role and, and take it from there, to be honest with you. At, um, Gav, Gav suggesting there that, that Delph could could play the Allen role. Um, what about Decore? Has he got more legs? Is he, should he play there? Yeah, Decore was absolutely going to be my shout. To be honest, I think Delph, while he has played well against Fleetwood, and he definitely did play well against West Ham. That West Ham game, he wasn't meant to play ninety minutes in that game. He did end up playing ninety minutes and did well, but that was his first ninety minutes since we drew two two with Newcastle in January. Now. If I just don't want to use him again because we're going to have to use him for another 90 minutes this time. Can he play two 90 minutes in a row inside the space of four days after so long without 90 minutes? I'd rather not risk that, to be honest. I'd play Decore in that role. I think he's got more legs. You know, he's shown against Crystal Palace and he showed against Tottenham as well, you know, his ability to track runners back and make the important tackles and interceptions, etc. I think he'll be fine in that Allen role. And I'd prefer to play Sigurdsson and Bernard in the in those central roles because uh, I think Bernard was probably a little bit unlucky to miss out of the miss out of the game against West Ham. I thought he played really really well against Fleetwood in particular uh, in that central role. I think he looks a lot more comfortable there than he did out wide for the majority of last season. And I'd like to see him come in and you know given given that sort of chance in the Premier League again. And I think, you know, as the lads have said, I think Sigurdsson has improved massively this season. I think uh, probably the, the best example that he's shown uh, was right towards the end of that West Ham game and setting up Calvert-Lewin's goal. You know, he was showed great strength to muscle off two West Ham players and played that inch-perfect pass through, through ball to uh, Calvert-Lewin to finish. You know, that's the kind of Sigurdsson that we want to see in and around the box. So, yeah, I think Bernard and Sigurdsson, would give Calvert Lewin the amount of uh, the amount of service that he needs. You know, obviously with Richarlison and Hammers still on the well, hopefully Richarlison, but Richarlison and Hammers still on the wings as well to provide that uh, that service as well. But yeah, I think I think Decore is personally the better option, and it's not any reflection on how well Delft's played. I think it's just in terms of his fitness. I just wouldn't want to see him break down and get injured again. To be honest, mm, indeed, Sam. Um, we hope. Everything goes well with Richardson's fitness test tomorrow morning because, of course, we've not won a league game when he's been absent. Um, but if worst came to worst and Richardson doesn't make it, who does Carlo play in his place? It's a tough one, isn't it? It's, uh, it's not great that two years, is it, after signing the player, we still haven't won a game um, without him. So... Um... I think Carl would probably go for a Wobie, wouldn't he? He's seemingly been the the, the first sub he's, he's turned to and has played pretty well in the in the Carnival Cup game. So I'd, I'd say it'd probably be between him and maybe Bernard Gordon seems to be a little bit further down the pecking order right now and, and, and Walcott is 
probably concerningly down the pecking order, despite what Carlo said about his future um, the other week when he seemed quite insistent that he would stay at Everton for this transfer window. But obviously that could change. So, yeah, I'd probably go for a Wobie and, and see what he's got, give him that chance, you know, light that bit of a, a fire under his belly and, and, and say, look, this is this is your chance to to go and really show what you can do. I thought he had a good start to the season, but didn't didn't quite get into the swing of things against Palace. Uh, when he came off the bench, he looked like he was caught a little bit cold. So mm. um, I think Ancelotti would go for the Wobi. I would probably go for Bernard or Gordon. But that shows the, the strength of the squad at the moment that there's three or four lads who could come in and do that job. Right. Excellent stuff. Before we uh, round off, obviously, customary predictions time. Preno, will start with you. Everton versus Brighton at Goodison Park, three o'clock tomorrow. How will it go? Um... I'm, I'm going to go with the historical precedent, which is uh, Everton to win, but I think it is going to be a really, really tough, tight game. I'm just going to go for a narrow 1-0 win uh, for the Blues. Uh, I know that goes completely contrary to where the games have been going this season. 3.68 goals a game in the Premier League, which is a whole goal a game more than last season. It's just been absolutely mayhem. But I just think this will be the one that books the trend. I think it'll be tight. I think we'll just do enough, but I think we'll win. Yeah. Gav, you uh, you told me earlier via um, email, if Everton win, it will be seven successive victories from the start of the season. The second highest in the club's history after eight in 1894-95. So, <laughs> so will that come true? Well, if, if you if you read the, the more interesting part of, uh, sentence below that, 84-95, we set the record of eight. We, uh, our eighth victory was against Liverpool. So... Uh, <laughs> On that basis, see that the fixes are repeating themselves this year, and uh, we play Liverpool in the fortnight. I've got to go for. I've got to go with Evan getting beat up. Really, and I'm with Ben. I, I, I really like Potter. I really like. I expect us to win, but I really mm. like Potter. Really like, you know, you can see what they're doing, and they've got some really good players. And I think it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a really tough game tomorrow. I'd argue probably the toughest of the season, even including Spurs. We've got pace, and um, I don't know. I'm gonna. I feel like saying two 0 but I'm not particularly uh, confident at all. But I just feel as if um, I think it's heresy to predict anything other than an Everton victory at the moment, isn't it? Really, <laughs> I know who's going to be brave enough to this podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I'm going to go two 0 to the mighty Blues. Okay, lovely, Adam. He's on fire, gonna... by the way. Everybody, anybody who, who religiously listens to these predictions, i.e., nobody, um, <laughs> would know that Adam has got the last two, last two absolutely spot on. Yep, yep, two in a row. And I'm yeah. going to go for the hat trick here. I'm going to completely disagree with Preno. Carlo Ancelotti is saying that the best defence will win this one and it'll be a really open game. So I'm going to go 4 2 to Evan. 4 2, wow. I mean, Adam's trying to take. He's tried to take Sam's mantle as the man who predicts goals. <laughs> Sam, what do you think? 3-0. Confident. Think. Yeah. think a clean sheet incoming now as well after a couple of goals conceded in the last couple of games. So, yeah. 3-0. James Rodriguez, first goal. So so confident is Sam that he was he was yawning through that. Yeah. <laughs> so relaxed, so <laughs> relaxed about the game. <laughs> You're just doing Potter's team talk for him again. It's like, it's like the, Fleetwood, <laughs> the Fleetwood game. Um, 
Okay, I'm going to go in between all those predictions. Uh, I agree it'll be a very difficult game. Uh, I think the Blues will win 2-1, but I'm not confident in keeping a clean sheet with Allen, not in the team, does a great job in protecting the back four. But yeah, clean sweep again. Hopefully, seven from seven. What a start for the Blues. Carlo and Shalot, these boys are flying. Uh, and thank you, chaps. Excellent, as always. Really appreciate your company and your opinions. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.